All of the newest episodes of Note to Self are now available on the Luminary Podcast app. It's free to download, and you can also listen to other podcasts from WNYC Studios, like Radiolab, Two Dope Queens, Snap Judgment, Here's the Thing with Alec Baldwin, and others. Luminary Premium is the only place where you can enjoy the entire new season of Note to Self, plus new original podcasts you won't find anywhere else, from Trevor Noah, Roxanne Gay, Guy Raz, Lena Dunham, and many more. And you can enjoy them ad-free. Start your free trial by going to luminary.link slash note to self or download the Luminary app for free. Listener supported. WNYC Studios. Did you read the New York Times? Yes. New York Observer? Yes. Washington Post? Yes. Have you read Elena Ferrante? Just the days of the We begin this hour with a look at two faces of the migrant crisis. And the Academy showering the revenant with 12 the whole life behind your phone. How gorgeous. Five months old, Panda Cup, baby. WNYC, you might think that Mayor de Blasio's plan to build 80,000 units of new affordable housing. Birdall walks forward, flanked by And for Cassine. Everybody knows it, I feel left off. Information overload. It's time to do something about it. This is a special episode of Note to Self, the tech show about being human. I'm Anoush Samarodi. And in case this is your first time here, I just want to tell you a little something that happened a year ago. Tens of thousands of our listeners signed up to do the Bored and Brilliant project with us. This was a week of challenges that went way beyond listening to this podcast. It was more like a huge live-action research study that listeners told us actually worked for them. Some of them told us they felt back in touch with their inner life. Well, today, we're launching our next project. A new series of challenges to get you rethinking how you use your brain and your technology, using them better, but in a whole new way. This time, it's not about your gadgets, per se. It's about all the stuff on them, all the stuff coming out of them, because over the past year... Hey, note to self. This is Christian from Tilname, Norway. Hi, Manoush. My question for you... Hi, Manoush. So my question is... Some of you, well, a lot of you, have had questions and comments about living with... Well, living with just too much information. When we wake up in the morning, there's this endless loop of personal emails, text messages, voicemails, work emails, work meetings. My question is about focus and how technology is affecting it. Direct messages, status updates, friend requests from Twitter, Facebook. Do we get stuck in the loop of just browsing at things that make us feel good or look nice? And then we become so overwhelmed with all of the ideas that we just don't do it. What does that do? LinkedIn, Instagram, etc. Each medium forces us to review, make a decision, keep, delete, reply, and move to the next request. When you finally reach that one day when you feel like you've conquered managing all of your cues, the feeling short-lived when you fall behind tomorrow. Any help or suggestions? 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 Listeners Denise Galanka, Christian Gendron, and Mark Malizia 
Kelsey Lukowski told me she wants to read about everything from the latest scientifically engineered sugar substitute to an in-depth analysis of Donald Trump's hair. I have a terrifyingly lengthy catalog of bookmarks filed under Read Later and an ever-growing list of podcasts I should listen to, books I should read. It's like a different flavor of FOMO. It's fear of missing out, but missing out on content and on knowledge. Oh my God, Kelsey, I have got it too. Curious people on the internet are like sugar fiends around chocolate, or in my case, Twizzlers. And there's actually a great word for this feeling, infomania. The Oxford Dictionary defines infomania as the compulsive desire to check or accumulate news and information, typically via mobile phone or computer. If you don't feel this compulsion, look around. Chances are someone in your life does, because the average American adult now consumes 12 hours of media a day. No wonder we have so many words to describe the repercussions of infomania. We complain about not having the bandwidth or we feel maxed out. We suffer from FOMO and information overload. Earlier this month, nearly 2,000 people took the Note to Self Information Overload Survey. And 60% of you said that you feel like the amount of effort you must exert to stay up to date on a daily basis is taxing. Another 15% of you said it's downright impossible. And you told us that information overload, it makes your eyes twitch. It messes up your sleep. One out of three even said that information overload was affecting their close relationships. Four out of five of you said that you feel like it affects your ability to learn. Well, we've been digging in to find out more about the cultural, psychological, and technological reasons behind information overload. Because before we can do something about it, we really got to understand it, right? So let's start with our anatomy. This is the sound of me being raised into an fMRI machine at the New York State Psychiatric Institute to have my brain scanned for science. She's a pretty great subject in terms of staying still, and she did the task. It doesn't look like she's asleep. Yeah. Everything we want in a research volunteer. If you've never had an fMRI, it kind of feels like you're being buried alive. I tried my best to be a star research subject. Doing the scanning were Columbia University PhD candidate Raphael Garrity and professor of psychology Daphna Shahami. See, because psychologists have done studies on the negative effects of multitasking and decision fatigue, but the long-term consequences of information overload are unknown. We're going to have you play a computer game. And the computer game is going to involve tests of your ability to learn and remember and make decisions. And we're going to be scanning your brain the whole time you're doing that. This is research that Daphna and Raphael regularly do. But for note-to-self purposes, we came up with a twist. Just so you know, I have tried very hard this morning to enter as little information into my brain as possible. I would get my brain scanned twice that day. Once in the morning when I was rested and fresh, and once at night after a typically long day of swiping and texting and tapping. During both scans, I lay there, staying as still as possible, looking at a screen while magnets swooped over my head taking pictures of my brain. The question is, what would my brain be up to? What could a day of information saturation of memes and tweets and texts and opinions and photos and uh, all that stuff that I take in, what would that do to my brain? 
that's, I think, a really interesting question that you've raised, and I don't think there's really anything out there in the research literature that's asked exactly that kind of question, especially with the focus on the kind of information overload that's unique to this day and age. And our little experiment would hardly be definitive, but Daphna had a guess about what she'd see going on up there. And the, the main hypothesis I would put forward is that what's going to happen is on a day of heavy overload, exposure to a lot of information, the main thing that's going to be impacted is a decrease in this kind of hippocampal role in flexible reasoning, but the kind of habitual updating will not be affected as much. In non-neuroscientific terms, she expected to see the area of my brain that purposefully makes choices, the hippocampus, it would be less active. And as a result, that would affect my performance. I wouldn't play the game as well. She expected me to do the mental equivalent of walk into a bar at the end of a long day and order the usual. Because when you're tired, your brain is more likely to make decisions based on habit, right? Like, I'll have a glass of Merlot. That's the easiest. In neuroscientific terms, that's using your striatum. Whereas in the morning, I'd be more inclined to think about it first, to learn about all the cool drinks that the bartender could make, and really remember the last time I drank a fuzzy navel, and how it was kind of too sweet, and then maybe make a conscious choice to choose a greyhound instead. That's using my hippocampus. This is kind of a weird example that I just gave you because I don't typically go into bars first thing in the morning, but I think you get my point here. Maybe you actually read Twitter in the morning while at night you find yourself mindlessly scrolling it. We'll tell you what Daphna found later in the show. It actually was a bit of a surprise. For now, though, let's move on from anatomy to behavior. The effect that computers have on people's attention, their stress, their mood. Gloria Mark is a professor at the University of California, Irvine's Department of Informatics. That sounds pretty cool, doesn't it? When Gloria and her team first started trying to measure how people behave and feel when they spend time online and on computers, her researchers were running around shadowing people with stopwatches. But holy moly, we react in so many ways with our brains, with our bodies to technology. And so accuracy was tough. But then we discovered sensors. We logged people's computer and phone activity. We also have people wear heart rate monitors, small lightweight cameras, continual photos, face detection programs, probes, little screens that pop up on your phone. How focused were you right now? Actographs, Fitbits, activity, sleep. Probes. Watch out for that word later in the show. I've always wanted to say that. Anyway, Gloria Mark, professor of informatics, puts people through the mill. She measures their every move and interaction with technology. And as a result, her studies can be pretty eyebrow-raising. Ever heard of the 23-minute interruption rule? 23 minutes and 15 seconds, to be exact. That's how long it takes for someone to get back to their original task, their initial working sphere, as Gloria calls it, if they're interrupted. You know, I'm an academic. I'm in the business of writing articles. So if I'm interrupted from that and then I move to a different working sphere, how long does it take me to get back to that original interrupted working sphere? Yep, 23 minutes and 15 seconds. It doesn't just make us unproductive. It tires us out. If you're doing this continually throughout the day, you know, there are cumulative effects. And people report feeling burnt out. They feel exhausted. 
Burned out and exhausted sounds familiar. But at least all our hard work is keeping us up to date on everything we need to know, right? Uh, maybe not. Daphna, Gloria, now meet Demetrios. Dr. Demetrios Sivrikas, consumer psychologist at the University College of London. Demetrios studies how we process information and also... The attention that we need to pay in order for that information to be meaningful. Turns out, more information doesn't necessarily make us better informed. In fact, Demetrios estimates, keeping in mind the research is preliminary, that only half of the information we take in gets used or stored meaningfully. Half. And when I described my specific information overload symptoms... I get locked into a cycle where I want, even though I'm tired and exhausted, I want more. I want to then go online and and I'm not even like consuming it. I'm just kind of tapping around Mm. and jumping around. What what is happening? You're simply a contemporary modern digital junkie. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he diagnosed me as a contemporary modern digital junkie. We see that very, very often among people who live in urban areas, um, in bigger cities. They're starving for information. They're craving information because they feel that that level of information will actually make them better informed. They're keeping up, you know, with friends and family. We're keeping up because they want to be educated. In reality, what a digital junkie is actually doing is overindulging information, and information that's not actually being stored in a meaningful way that can actually contribute to their level of, you know, general knowledge. You got that? Do you live in an urban area? Maybe you're just starving for information. In any case, here's why so many of us feel overloaded. The Internet's capacity is limitless. Our brains is most definitely not. In a minute, I'll tell you about the week-long challenge I want you to do with me to see if we can take back some of our ability to learn, to remember, to think more deeply. Plus, what a brain on information overload actually looks like and also probes. That's coming up. Hey, note to self-listeners. It's Manoush here. I went to visit Stephen Dubner, you know, the guy who does Freakonomics, over at his other fun podcast, Question of the Day. We had a blast answering crazy questions. He tried to guess my weight by lifting me off the ground. Yeah, things got really weird. Go check it out. Question of the day. Uh, I am there all week showing the mansplainers what's what. We're back. It's note to self. I'm Manoush Zamarodi. I spoke to cognitive psychologists, informatics professors, neuroscientists, and the word that kept coming up when I mentioned information overload or infomania... A lot of people report higher levels of anxiety. 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 Yeah, anxiety. You're not surprised. If taking in so much information makes us anxious, why do we keep doing it? Like, who's making us? The computers? Society? Our deepest, darkest selves? We've talked anatomy and behavior. Now let's talk culture and how it drives information overload. Genevieve Bell is Intel's in-house anthropologist, and she looks for systemic answers to questions like these. 
Do you need the technology to stay employed? Is it part and parcel of how you make your living? Is it how you manage your family relationships? Is it also where your leisure and pleasure comes from? And I think one of the challenges here is that the same pipes that bring us constant information are also enmeshed in the rest of our lives too. And it's hard to kind of think about how you tease them apart, what the appropriate social, familial, community, cultural, country level norms will be is a work in progress. And we're still in the middle of it. Anxieties run through most new technology developments. I mean, I think in some ways, it's more of the same. And on the other ways, it's just more of the same a lot faster. Yeah, a lot faster. And that pace changes societal expectations, right? Like the sense of that if you are at a party and someone's like, oh, didn't you know about that? Or didn't you read that? There's FOMO, right? Fear of missing out or the sense that you have to keep up in order to be a relevant person. But 20 years ago, we called fear of missing out the water cooler moment. I mean, you know, there was a similar anxiety on a Monday morning coming to the office or to school that you hadn't seen the right television shows. Yeah, but I mean, it was the always, that... I always could see it. It was moonlighting, right? Like I, I knew mm-hmm. that I saw moonlighting and then I was <laughs> in. And now I can't keep up. There's so many great TV shows and amazing podcasts and Twitter feeds and articles. I, I want it all, but it's very hard to choose. Uh, so wait, this is a good thing or a bad thing? Well, it's exactly in that middle section, Mm. like that it is wonderful. Oh, my God. I feel like it is a abundance of riches for my brain. But at the same time, I feel a personal responsibility and one that I want to help my children and my listeners also and myself work out how to be better at choosing what really does matter. Yeah, and I think you're right to ask the question of where will the rebalancing come, right? I mean, there's this lovely story told, I remember when I was first doing fieldwork in China, by people about what happened when Mahjong, which had been banned under (laughs) under the the sort of the early years of the party, was unbanned. And there was this wave of Mahjong playing that spread from southern China to northern China Mm. over the space of a year. When new things come along, we have an orientation to wanting to go explore them, right? Every time you meet a new person, you make a new friend, if you're lucky enough to fall in love, there is a moment where that becomes the entire center of your attention. Yeah. And over time, you go, I probably should remember to do the laundry. (laughs) Right. Maybe I should call, maybe I should call my mom. (laughs) And I think, you know, in some ways, we're having that moment with the technology, right? Like we have fallen in love with it, and it is all consuming. But there will be a moment when we need to put out the trash, go do the laundry, go talk to someone else. And I think where that moment fits and what the choices are we make at that moment will be really telling. How do you start to decide what the most useful things are that this technology does? Okay, wait, 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 stop, stop. How do you decide what's the most useful thing that this technology does? We need to start asking this question right now. I mean, what are we waiting for? How can we turn our infomania into something less draining and something more magical? Because as we've just learned, lots of information doesn't necessarily make us better informed. Come on, FOMO's for losers. When we take in just the right amount of information, really choose and focus on it, maybe we can do amazing things. I don't know, learn a new language, keep up a deep and lasting friendship, or maybe just relax and enjoy life more. All sorts of things, depending on what we, what you want in life. 
and depending on if we make it a priority, an information priority. So let's do this. Let's transform our infomania into something infomagical. Yeah, that's right. We're calling our project Infomagical. Next week, five days of challenges to help us organize our overwhelmed brains, to help us think more deeply, more clearly, to focus. Five tasks that will help you get Infomagical to make information overload disappear. Okay, here's how it's going to work. First, you need to sign up. So the minute this podcast ends, go to wnyc.org slash infomagical. You'll be asked to choose an information goal. That goal should reflect what you really want to get out of all the information you consume. It's kind of like creating your own filter. Decide what you want all that information to do for you. I mean, let's try it right now, okay? Finish this sentence. I want all the information I consume next week to make me more creative. I do. That's my goal. But maybe you want to be more up to date about current events, the news. Or maybe it's time you got more connected with friends and family. Maybe you want to be more knowledgeable about a certain skill or subject. Perhaps you just want to be more in tune with yourself. It's up to you. Listen to your gut. Choose one of the five goals that we've identified. Neuroscientists, by the way, would call this sticking to a schema. And this schema or goal is going to keep you from falling down information rabbit holes during Infomagical Week. If you do need some guidance in terms of choosing a goal, we've got a really fun online personality quiz that will help you decide. And once you've picked a goal, oh my God, I am totally gilding the lily here, but okay. Once you pick a goal, you'll get a specially created corresponding emoji. That's right, folks. Note to self emojis. Mine has rainbow lasers shooting out of its eyes. Yeah. Each goal has a specially created emoji. You can put your emoji on Facebook or print it out and tack it on the wall, whatever. This emoji will serve as a physical reminder to you to stay focused next week. It is your emoji note to self. Crazy freaking awesome, right? I mean, I think I might just spontaneously combust. I'm so excited. Basically, we want to see if setting an information goal leads you to feel less information overload. And what happens when you change your behavior in various different ways? The tasks that we've designed for you to do next week have been neuroscientifically, cognitive psychologistly approved and will be mostly ridiculously fun. Every day we'll text you and you'll be able to text us back with how you're feeling, how it's going. These messages will act as research probes, as Professor Mark called them. You can see the plan online at wnyc.org slash infomagical. But I truly do think that Challenge Week will change the way you think, the way you live with your technology, with all that information. Okay, I think that's enough information now about Infomagical. Now, finally, just to wrap up, I don't want to leave you hanging. Let's go back to Columbia professor Dr. Daphne Shahami. Remember, at the beginning of the show, she was scanning my calm, unloaded brain. 
Later, she scanned my brain on information overload. Both times, I played a memory game. The part of my brain that actively makes choices to learn and remember, it looks like it really was exhausted. Not a huge surprise. But the part of my brain that works automatically, habitually, did just fine after a day of information overload. Even better, actually. So maybe, just maybe, that habit part of our brain takes over at the end of a long day, compelling us to keep consuming information. But, you know, nothing too taxing, nothing too deep. Let's look at couches on Pinterest, Downton Abbey hashtags on Twitter. Whee! I mean, that's where so many of us end up at the end of the day, right? But perhaps by deciding to not overload ourselves all day long, or at least not jump around and burn through all our neural energy, we could accomplish more and figure out what really matters in life. Play the long game. Because we know that our goals and our motivation change the way memories are created, if we know what our goals are, then that becomes sort of a filter for how the memories can be built, sort of around that theme. Daphna cautioned me numerous times not to come to any specific conclusions based on what we saw in my one brain. Our experiment was hardly scientific, and there could be lots of reasons why we saw what we saw. But I think you gave us an idea for a study. <laughs> I think we should do it. I think people have asked questions about stress and different learning systems, which are interesting. I think you raise interesting questions about overload. Cool. You can see the video and more about the cognitive test that I played while I got my brain scanned at wnyc.org slash infomagical. Okay, enough. Time to stop listening. Oh, and if someone asks you what the hell infomagical is and why you have a kooky emoji posted on Facebook to signify your inner self, just tell them this is a public radio digital literacy campaign on acid. Okay. Note to Self is a production of WNYC Studios. The team includes Jen Poyant, Ariana Tobin, Joe Plord, and Amy Eason. I'm Manoush Samarodi. That's like, you know I've drunk the Kool-Aid when that's my fantasy, right? <laughs> that I have big folds and an amazing striatum. <laughs> <laughs>